The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Hello and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Um, This is Mark Green. I'm the medical director at Westbridge and I'm standing in for Mary Wood. So listen to our other shows on the internet and um, enjoy, but today we are very lucky to talk about video games and your kids' huge problem escalating and certainly touching every home who has a child in it, um, or many adults um, who are getting too deep into internet and addictions. Um, to talk to us about this is Hilary Cash. Hi, Hilary. Hello, happy to be here. Um, so, Hilary's been a psychotherapist since 1981, lives in Seattle, and developed an interest in. Um, the Problem of Internet Addiction, uh, and she wrote a, a book called Video Games and Your Kids, How Parents Stay in Control, which is produced by Issues Press, and um, provides individual group and family therapies, as well as writing and lecturing on this subject. So, Hilary, you wrote, tell us why you wrote this book and what has troubled you about this and maybe was there a personal experience in this which propelled you to uh, become more involved? When I first moved up to the Seattle area, it was 1993, and I opened my practice here. One of my early clients was a young man of 25 who came to me depressed, his marriage falling apart, and in the course of working with him, it quickly became apparent that he was addicted to a video game a Dungeons and Dragons game, text only, no graphics to it, but he was classically addicted. Mm-hmm. And I began, he, he really just opened a window for me on this problem. And so I had a young child at the time, yeah. a young boy, and I didn't want my son to grow up with that problem. And I could, and I knew, although it was early days yet, I could just see that this was likely to grow into a much more serious and widespread problem. So my personal interest was wanting to protect my own child. Yeah, well, that's a very good motivation for all of us. Um, and were you, were you concerned at the time that something uh, uh, would occur with your child or just the fact that there was nothing perhaps special about your client um, made you concerned that this could be a growing problem? It's, I've often wondered uh, why I had such a strong sort of intuition that I was just seeing the trickle before the flood. Mm. Um, I, guess it's, I guess that sense about <laughs> it being a trickle before the flood grew in me over the next uh, three or four years as more and more clients were showing up in my office with one problem or another related to the Internet. And 
I, I began doing research to see if there were other therapists who were noticing the problem and writing articles or doing research or whatever. And back in the mid-'90s, very few people were uh, talking about it and seemed to be engaged with it, but there were a few. And so Kimberly Young, Marissa Orzak, David Greenfield, these are folks like myself very early on engaged in the problem and starting to write books about it. One area that they were not addressing in their literature was uh, was the problem of was really writing to parents very specifically, and so that's why eventually I was able to join forces with a a child and family therapist who understood the early stages of child development very well, and we were able to write our book, um, which came out a couple of years ago. Yeah, I got to say, I really like the book. The way it's laid out was both, you know, it starts with the effects of um, gaming on the body and the brain, and then moves into some parenting challenges, and then really takes a lovely look, develop, a developmental path through uh, the, the different ways that this issue can show itself. Um, I really like that. So, you know, you said that, well, I remember uh, when I was doing my addictions training in the 90s, mid-90s, and there was a growing concern about the how ubiquitous the overuse of computers and pornography was, but it was kind of marginalized as an addictive disorder yeah. um, and not taken up as a specific focus for until... I feel very recently, it feels like it's still emerging as a specific focus. Mm -hmm. It was seen as an epiphenomenon. People would use their drugs and then just engage in enormous amounts of uh, use of their computers. Uh, and as I say, pornography was a huge piece of that. Is that, is that, what, you've, is that, is that what you've noticed a lot in addiction use? You also mentioned the use of Internet games and computer games. The, the two main areas of um, Internet addiction that I have worked with over the years has been pornography and romance, kind of if you take that together in a bundle mm. over the Internet, using the Internet sort of as the delivery system for that drug, um, and video game use. So in 1999, I... I met and uh, began working with and, and formed a partnership with a therapist named Jay Parker who was very specifically interested in working with sex addicts. So we developed an outpatient program called No More Secrets. And in this program, uh, Jay works with the men who get referred to him through 12-step communities like Sex Addicts Anonymous or Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous and you know, therapists who hear about him and so forth. And he puts those men into uh, groups, therapy groups, and he has them all do a lot of pretty intensive 12-step work. And then if the wives or partners are willing, they can come and work with me, and I do the same with them, put them into groups for support and encourage them to do their own 12-step work because most of them are quite codependent. So that's kind of how we are dealing with what we call sex and love addiction. Um, but the other um, current has, that's very strong has been uh, the problems with video gaming. Yeah. 
Now, these, these come, fluences come together quite a bit, and the games are becoming more and more sexualized, and um, gamers, our experience with gamers is that they often are also accessing pornography. So the overlap is enormous. We formed um, something that you didn't mention, and I would like your audience to know, is that Cosette Ray and I last year formed a um, inpatient, first of its kind in the country, inpatient treatment program at Retreat Center Stay for video game and Internet addicts, adults only, called Restart, Internet Addiction yes. Recovery Program. Yeah. And there we are finding that most of the young people who come to us, 18 to 28, are addicted to video games, but mm-hmm. most of them are also accessing pornography. Interesting. So there's a lot of overlap just to sent into that, um, that fantasy world um, and interacting just with computers and um, shallow relationships that they obtain through those. Yes, and I and what I observe with young people is that uh, if you think about adolescence, it's an awkward age, and it's an age when young people developmentally their tasks are to learn how to successfully engage with their peers and learn how to flirt and eventually date and eventually bring sexuality into those romantic relationships, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of the, the natural progress. Mm-hmm. But because it uh, can be painfully awkward and it's not easy to figure out how to do that for many young people, when they have something that is such an easy escape from that challenge, yeah. many young people turn to it instead. And then the longer they go without, you know, disengaged from their peers, not learning the skills they need to be successful, the more they just retreat and rely on the Internet instead. Which is such a common characteristic of any addiction, the, the time out from real sharing, difficult and therefore rich um, experiences that you get from working things through with another human being. Right. And the, the developmental pause that you could experience in the course of any addiction process. So you're okay. seeing this a lot with the adolescent population as they give up on the complexities of normal relationships and sexual relationships and the ups and downs that come with that and instead take refuge in the computer. Yes. And what I have seen is that... Um, the effects on adolescents who are addicted to the computer and video games, the, the, the effect on social development is actually seems to be far more profound than with other addictions because their, their isolation is really quite profound. Mm-hmm. And when you have somebody who's drinking, many kids are drinking with other kids, yeah. and the social relationships may not be all that healthy, mm-hmm. but they are nonetheless face-to-face. That's a good point. So a lot of the time with uh, drug use, there's a 
huge social element. Like some people with addictions will use drugs and alcohol to shield themselves and isolate, but many will the addiction will emerge through the course of social play right. going slightly wrong. Um, or and, and many people emerge from their adolescence and young college careers and feel that drugs and alcohol in some way um, facilitated um, some of their friendships. It's not all bad. Um, right. And even in a very um, strange twist, if you're... If you're trying to get illegal drugs and alcohol because you're a minor or the, the drugs themselves are illegal, there's a certain amount of acumen that you need to develop, uh, uh, you know, street smarts that you need to develop to just navigate the world in order to get what you want. Sure. Whereas the Internet addict of, let's say, 18, 19, 20 doesn't have to develop any of those street smarts. And so our experience is that um, Internet addicts are often just remarkably behind in sort of a practical understanding of how the world works and how to navigate it, as, as well as social skills. Well, we're coming up for a break in a moment, but I'd say that... The Internet is such instant gratification. It makes it so, it seems so easy in many regards, but uh, that I could understand why one wouldn't develop normal skills, but also it can show such extraordinary sexual prowess and ease and, um, you know, everyone's got huge penises and is having orgasms all the time, and life isn't like that. And you can also have a, a huge um, problem with your own competence and feel even worse. Another yeah. common aspect of addiction. Well, we'll come back after a short break. Okay. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The key to well-being and being well lies in creativity. The creative arts transform our minds, bodies, and emotions. Tune in to Healing Through Creativity with your host, Dr. Desiree Cox, Renaissance woman, Rhodes Scholar, medical doctor, and artist. Each program will feature experts on the art and science of creativity and health. 
You'll discover how the creative arts are also healing arts and how to maximize your creative potential. Tune in to Healing Through Creativity, Thursdays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. So welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mark Green. And I'm talking with Hilary Cash, who's written a very interesting book, Video Games and Your Kids, How Parents Stay in Control. Also, Hilary, you, you mentioned the Restart program in Seattle, but you didn't mention the website, which I found very helpful, netaddictionrecovery.com or .org? .com. Yeah, and a lot of, lot of resources, a lot of chat rooms um, to talk these issues through, questionnaires, um, a good resource, I think. Um, Harry, I wonder if you could give us a sense of what you see in your practice when uh, just either how bad this can get and give us a sense of what it looks like when you to some of the people that you're admitting to your program, perhaps. Well, we had recently a young man who came who had been... Um, almost never leaving his room for ever since he was about 14 years old. And when he came to us, he was 19 years old. Five years, wow. And he, now, during that time, his mother died. And up until her death, he said his addiction was purely focused on video gaming. Mm-hmm. After her death, he was shaken up, of course, very badly by her her dying and was wanted to reach out to people and so he reached out through Skype but again he never left his room almost ever and his father um, had never been good at setting boundaries with him and um, then once the wife died and the father was in his grief you know he, he really essentially left the boy alone neglected him I would say, or abandoned him. And so this young man, when he came to us, had just was very uncomfortable out in the world because all he'd been doing pretty much for five years had been this um, time spent in, in front of his computer screen, either on Skype or still playing video games. Just now it was interspersed with more Skyping. And um, so... You know, that's, that's one example. Um, yeah. I've actually just recently seen um, someone, a young man, who, similar story, has been watching either videos or video games or just surfing the Internet for up to 20 hours a day, um, yeah. sometimes barely going to sleep, has um, not managed to graduate high school, did not go to college, um, keeps talking about getting a job, but just spends all the time 
um, on the computer, when you talk to him, he expresses a great, you know, some concern about his life. But as you said earlier, no realistic idea about the challenges that you have to go through and that you can cope with those. No idea of how to manage that kind of stress of everyday living and a very quick sinking back into the computer screen and getting lost in pornography, video games, or movies. It actually doesn't, if he can't watch, if the computer's taken away, he just watches movies, right. but movie after movie after movie, anything to avoid the challenge of everyday life. Right. Uh, yeah. And uh, I think I, I work at Westbridge a lot with people with severe dual disorders, and you often see the Internet interacting with the psychiatric disorder. For example, people with a psychotic disorder can feel quite overwhelmed by the um, dysphoria of, the cha of their life, so the, the difficulties that they're having, and descend, almost milk their psychotic disorders in the evening to feel powerful and to have this very compelling surfing through sex sexual imagery and gratification, video games, and descend into this feeling of being powerful or supernatural or connected yeah. to something mysterious as a, as a wild escape. And they can be getting high during that process and really have a great deal of difficulty pulling out of that extremely compelling experience. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so so it's, a, it's been a big problem in, uh, in, in many of the young people that we treat at Westbridge also. We, know, have, yeah. um, we have seen a lot of uh, folks with dual diagnosis also out at Restart. Mm -hmm. And what we it's always an interesting question with our clients as to which came first. So if somebody arrives with very high levels of anxiety and depression, those in particular are disorders that sometimes, uh, quite often, actually begin to remit once they've gone through withdrawal and are, their brains are sort of coming back to normal. But other people, when they move through their withdrawal, they're no longer um, in, active in their addiction, you begin to see much more clearly what the other disorder might be. Absolutely. And and it might be attention deficit disorder. It might be um, an Asperger's, a high-functioning Asperger disorder, you know, something else. And, and then once that emerges, we can begin to address it more effectively. Yeah, I think what the um, evidence and experience shows from the treatment of uh, more classic dual disorders is that these two issues really intersect and co-evolve during the adolescence. Someone might feel a little awkward, um, it might be the beginnings of a prodromal part of schizophrenia, but they're feeling a bit more awkward and getting into more esoteric interests. The computer starts filling that gap or the drugs start filling that gap. Um, they descend more and their symptomatology is shaped by the either drug or perhaps the Internet um, pattern um, yes. and takes on a particular form, you know, around... Uh, some involvement with the computer or the uh, or the pursuit of drugs and the, the liability that can come from that. And it can be very hard to try and tease that out. And what's, what's crucial is the treatment of both disorders at the same time 
um, with thoughtfulness. You can't really wait and just treat one and wait for the other and see. You have to really be addressing both because they're, they're intersecting challenges to the person's right. recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, so it sounds like that's, that's, that's exactly the same model that you're experiencing in Internet addiction. Right. I don't know if anyone anyone's written on that, but that would be an interesting paper to co-write um, if you're not aware of one. Um, so maybe we could talk after the show about that. <laughs> that sounds like a very good idea. The, you know, one of the challenges that we have in the treatment of more classic addictions is people say, well, you know, this is part of our lives, drugs and alcohol. You know, what's the big idea? What's the big problem? And there's a, there's a spectrum, and there's, a, there's personal vulnerabilities and social contextual factors which come to bear to make a problem horrendous. And I imagine you see the same thing, of course, texting and Internet and Skyping um, and video games can be good, fun, um, and are such a prominent part of um, children's lives. My, my kids are in middle school and already, you know, enjoy um, talking about different games with their friends and it begins to encroach, but there's always this anxiety for a parent. Um, so how do you see this spectrum and, the, um, and, and, and begin to manage that and talk about that with families? What we emphasize with families is that there is this technology is not in and of itself evil, and it certainly can be useful. There are some aspects of it that it is definitely best to uh, shield your children from, like pornography and uh, very uh, certain kinds of games that you might find very offensive and so forth. But that the technology itself is all right, but it all has to be used by kids in moderation, and parents themselves have to model that moderation if they are expecting that of their children. Mm -hmm. So when when we have a family, we certainly ask the parents to also do an assessment of their own Internet addiction. Are they addicted or not? How much are they using the technology? At what times, in what ways? And then... Um, helping them if, if bring that down into uh, moderated use, if need be. And then from there, helping them understand, develop, depending on the age and stage of their child's development, um, what is appropriate for that child to be doing. So you and, might probably, so you probably see families who are worried about their kid being on the internet all the time, but the dad's constantly checking his uh, BlackBerry for messages and and. And mom's the, on playing Farmville on Facebook. Right, right. And everyone's <laughs> checking emails and not interacting and not putting things down, uh, exactly. closing the computers and interacting, but everyone's on their screens or computers and complaining that, and saying, well, ours is functional, or ours is um, important for work, or, and not modeling good, appropriate use. Right, exactly. <laughs> And then helping them understand and think through, really, what are the things that you would be okay with? Like, are you really okay with your kid having access to pornography? Because I can promise you they are. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, if you haven't successfully 
if you aren't successfully screening it out, they're they're curious, they're looking. Right. Um, is that okay with you? And then, mm-hmm. then, then, what is the problem with pornography? There are many adults who don't understand what the problems with pornography are. Quite aside from moral issues, um, you know, parents need to understand that the sexual template, uh, a sexual template that's based on pornography, separates sexuality from relationship. Right. And once that template is formed in a child through overuse of pornography, then they will find it much more difficult to bring those two things together. I think that's a fascinating point. I mean, to be honest, you hear a lot more. I do, I do question the... I do feel like a fuddy-duddy when it comes to relationship. Um, the... The college kids that I will see will have many classifications for sex, hookups, um, you know, just one-offs, friends with benefits, um, dating and relationships and sex within relationships are a subclass. And the uh, so I think there's a cultural difference, a generational difference perhaps, in the perception of relationships and sex. And I don't know how much the Internet is responsible for that. I think the Internet has played a huge part in that cultural change. Mm. And what I think has been lost is the sense of what really, uh, and this is maybe a subject we can get back to in the next segment, but it has to do with what we need as human beings in order to be happy. What is the role of love and relationships in, in our happiness? Well, let's take a break now and come back with that after a short break. Thanks. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Hi, I'm David Cordani with Cigna. We've been working with the March of Dimes for stronger, healthier babies for 16 years. Did you know in America, one in eight babies is born too soon? Those who survive the early birth can suffer serious and sometimes lifelong health problems. Some babies never come home at all. Help bring more babies home healthy. Join me and the March of Dimes in fighting premature birth. Go to MarchofDimes.com. Total career success. What does it mean to you? Voice America presents a radio program dedicated to help you achieve your career goal. Even in times of economic uncertainty, you can achieve your financial goals. Whether you're a college grad, new in the working environment, or a top-level executive, you will benefit from the practical and proven advice on job search and career advancement. Join Ken and Cheryl Dawson every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, for Total Career Success on Voice America. 
Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. And welcome back to One Hour at a Time. I'm enjoying this show a lot. It's uh, This is Mark Green. I'm talking with Hilary Cash. And you can find out more information about Hilary and the work that she's doing at netaddictionrecovery.com. Hilary, before the break, we were beginning to talk about pornography, Internet use, and how it's distorting a sense of relationship and the link between sex and relationships, how that's becoming uncoupled in some ways. You know, college kids really have a whole range of um, relationship styles from the hookup to the friends with benefits to people in a relationship um, with whom you have sex. And I think the the internet pornography scene is all about meeting someone for the first time, um, having stellar, hot um, sex with a subservient female and a sort of gangsterish guy, um, and um, which lasts for a long time, and um, then you move on. Um, and you were saying, you know, that, that, that this really has probably distorted a lot of the images uh, and ideas that people have about relationships and sex, and that's one of the big problems um, in recovery. So how, how do you say a bit more and tell me how you see this playing out as you go take people through their recovery process? In our work at No More Secrets, uh, the work that we do with sex addicts and their partners, we talk to them about sex addiction being fundamentally an intimacy disorder. And so what is intimacy? What does that mean and what is its role in our lives? And that question takes us to something called limbic resonance. And I can recommend to you and to our listeners a marvelous book called A General Theory of Love by three authors, Louis Amini and Lannan, who are all psychiatrists and researchers on, uh, on the brain. Mm-hmm. And they have coined this term called limbic resonance, which refers to the stimulation of the limbic part of two people's brains when they are in a loving, caring, safe relationship. And that limbic resonance is something which we absolutely require in order to feel uh, good, to feel happy, and for us, for our, even our physiology to be well-regulated. Because we are social animals, we are uh, we have evolved to be in social relationships with one another in ways that are safe and loving. And when we lack that in our lives, we suffer emotionally and physiologically. So one of the interesting things that has 
been consistently revealed in research on Internet addiction mm. is the positive correlation between the amount of time spent online and reports of depression. And in puzzling about that finding, that consistent finding, I do think, I do believe that the answer as to why is that the more time you're at the screen, the less time you're actually face-to-face and in relationships with people. Mm -hmm. And so you become depressed because you don't have enough limbic resonance. Well, how does this relate to sexuality? If you are... If you go before on, you go on, before you go on, I'd say that there's a, there's some very interesting correlations between what you say and um, oxytocin, um, yeah. a, a hormone which is very important for bonding in infant uh, maternal bonding and between lovers. Uh, oxytocin not only um, is secreted um, during those moments, but also if you give it to people, it increases their level of trust uh, for another person and reduces conflict. And it directly calms the uh, stress hormone circuitry, uh, which is on fire in depression, anxiety disorders, and most addictive um, periods. And oxytocin itself is a very rewarding, reinforcing um, hormone. It triggers you to want to do it again. It feels good. Um, And um, oxytocin is very profoundly affected by all drugs of abuse. Um, and I have no idea whether that's the case with the Internet, um, but um, obviously there'd be a withering of that bonding hormone, the cuddle hormone, as um, people properly call it, um, because you're just not having any of those experiences. Um, you're also talking about the empathy which can occur with mirror neurons in the limbic system. Um, so you're, you resonate with another person's internal emotional state, um, and that uh, is how you begin to learn how to model what someone is thinking, how to behave appropriately in the outside world. And you skip that if you're staring in front of a computer and having a fantasy world which responds not according to normal human patterns, but according to a computer program's data entry. Right, or just those objectified images. If you're masturbating to porn, Mm. you know, you're not in limbic resonance with anyone. Right, that's right. Right. And so it, all of this, all these sorts of experiences then create a, an adult, who, an older teenager, an adult, who has what we call an intimacy disorder. They are not equipped to go out into the world and form the bonds which will uh, allow them to be in these emotionally intimate relationships, which are satisfying and which aren't going to be sexual if it's with your friends but will be hopefully sexual with your with a partner mm-hmm. and um and so this intimacy disorder i i see not only in sex addicts but also with the the video game and general internet addicts that we're dealing with out at restart as well you know there's a lot of you talked about the comorbidity issues a little bit earlier and you mentioned high functioning Asperger's and there can be people with uh, with developmental issues or personality styles that really don't get so much of the warmth that occurs between people right. and might find the internet uh, an, a safe haven. I would also imagine that some people could find the internet 
potentially a source of manageable interpersonal connection. I don't know, I'm thinking about second life or some place where you're interacting with another human but in a much more controlled way without all the anxiety of direct eye-to-eye contact. It's exactly um, right. Mm-hmm. What you're saying is exactly right. And, of course, this, is, this applies is very much going to apply to folks who have Asperger's where they really don't know how to read social cues and so, you know, social interactions are quite anxiety-provoking. Yes. And they, they just sidestep that challenge when they're on the Internet. Yes. So um, in some of your therapies, you know, you talked about um, some of the uh, 12-step approaches that you use for sex addiction um, and... And those models actually sort of take you through increasing awareness of some of your own challenges and then um, has a series of steps which help you reach out to another person and eventually provide service for others with generosity. Um, And um, are in many ways a social cognition retraining program. Absolutely. Um, So... Um, is that a, a model that you follow quite quite a bit in your in your team? Well, certainly we follow it in our work with sex and love addicts, mm-hmm. um, and have found it um, invaluable as um, it, as something which adds greatly to the work we're trying to do with them in when they come in for individual therapy and even group therapy. We have them for just. Uh, you know, an hour or two and in a week. But if they are going to 12-step meetings several times a week and working with their sponsor and working through the steps, that social cognition retraining that they're going through, it, you know, they they become immersed in it. And, of course, it, they make great strides as a result of, of their immersion in it. Although at some stage some stage you need a little bit more. You need that interpersonal enactment where someone is looking at someone, beginning to trust someone, knowing that they're there for them, talking about their fears. Do you also, and, and then translating that into the sexual arena so that they can have satisfying, intimate sex with all of the anxiety and failure and, um, that, that goes with that. Um, is that a, a component that you um, utilize in later phases of treatment? I'm thinking either of emotionally focused therapy for, that, that is very effective for couples, um, probably stimulates a lot of that oxytocin and, and, uh, and, and sex therapies. Is that something that you'll use later on down the line? What we do, the answer is yes, later on down the line. What we do is we do not do couples work initially. Mm-hmm. The the men, the sex addicts, uh, start by writing their life history. In their, this is their own individual work, and we really ask the, the wives to uh, just let them be, don't focus much on them, really sort of get them as to, to function as independently as possible from each other. And sometimes they will actually do a therapeutic separation and even go to the extreme of no contact with each other for 30 days or more. And then during that time, he's working on his life history, and out of that life history, which is like a first step, out of that he extracts and creates a letter, which we we call a disclosure letter, where he... 
he, which he will read to her and give her a copy of in the therapeutic setting um, with two therapists and the two of them. And in this letter, he will tell her, he'll be open and honest and tell her the extent of his acting out behaviors during the time she has known him. She then takes that letter and digests it, and hopefully she's in her own support group. She's doing her own work, so she doesn't feel, she's not left alone to cope with the revelations that usually happen during that. And then she writes a cost letter, and this cost letter is then, again, in a therapeutic setting, read to him and given to him. He digests that and writes an empathy letter in which he says, I get it. I, you know, I think so. You're slowing down. I have to. We have to come up for a break. But you're slowing down that process of disclosure and trust um, through letters to decrease the intensity of it, with the goal of bringing them together later on down the line. Right. When those three steps have occurred, then couples' work can begin. I see. To heal that attachment injury. I'm using yeah. a different language. But we'll come back after a break. Okay. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. The Marsh Engel Show. Join the movement to empower yourself with the essentials of feminine power and success and learn how women around the world are becoming more inspired, more influential, and absolutely amazing. Each week, Marsh sits down for an engaging conversation with women who are boldly committed to living their most amazing life. You'll discover ways to step into your greatest vision, deepen your relationships, and unleash your real creative brilliance. Get ready. It's time to jump into the conversation. That's Monday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern for The Marsh Engel Show on the Voice America Business Network. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. 
So welcome back. Final segment of our interesting show um, with Hillary Cash. Um, Hillary, I reckon the, the best source um, for people to look for more information is netaddictionrecovery.com. Is that right? Or are there other sources you'd recommend? Well, I think that's a great place to go. Okay. Look, I want to talk about, we've had a very broad-ranging conversation, but I want to talk about what it looks like in your family, how you know that um, you're cons- whether to be worried, um, you know, because everyone's using the Internet. Everyone's playing games. So when should we be worried? Well, if, first of all, let me just say that both at that website and in our book, there is a signs and symptoms checklist that people can go to and um, and look at. As a parent, you can look at it for your your spouse or your child or or yourself, and go through that. And if you answer yes to five or more of of the signs and symptoms, then you're looking at the situation of of probable addiction. At least you know it's it's cause for concern for sure. Mm-hmm. So those kinds of, if you're a parent and you're looking at your kid, what you're going to see is, is, a, is a child or a teenager who is, seems to be obsessed with their computer. And they find it very difficult to, to set it down and go do other things. Right. And they are, they are um, they'll fight with you when you try to set a boundary. Mm-hmm. That's not a good sign. Right. And so, and, and they seem to want more and more time with it. So they, you know, they've got a new game, and then and you just can't get them to come down and join the family for dinner. Okay. Or they are up in their room, closed into their room on the internet. You don't really know what they're doing, and and they're turning down invitations to go out with their friends. They are. They. Then start their grades start going down. You notice that they seem tired because chances are they're not getting enough sleep. Maybe you catch them lying about what they're doing and and uh, how much time they're spending. Perhaps you set up a rule about you know that your computer has to be off by a certain time, and then you catch them. You get up to pee in the night and you catch them. You see the light on under the door. You go. You listen and you hear them. Uh, engaged with their, you know, over the Internet with someone. All of these would be very worrisome signs. Yes, yes, it would be. And and um, and so what's important is to have some sort of agreement ahead of time um, to begin to, because if you're not setting limits, you don't know if they're, if they're being strained. But what is a reasonable limit and what is, um, what is, too lax and too problematic. How do, how do you help parents gauge that and begin to set those, have those kind of discussions? Again, a parent, <coughs> excuse me, a parent would do very well to read our book mm-hmm. because we we lay it all out for them in a in a very orderly way so that they can uh, they can really see what are the appropriate limits to set and they get some coaching in how to set those limits. Our recommendation, and there's good research that that backs this up, that children will, children early childhood development happens best without screens. 
Yeah, despite what the baby Einstein videos... Are, oh, I might, might get myself in trouble. Despite yeah. what some child development videos might suggest, That's um, right. there's no advantages and social interactions are, are much stronger. Yes, absolutely. So all of, all of, the, all of those kinds of early childhood uh, games, whether they're called educational or not, are not actually beneficial for your kid. Right. And um, so... Our recommendation is no computer or video game time for kids under seven years old. I like that. And then after that, um, if you and if you give them screen time before the age of seven, let it be very limited uh, screen time for television. You know, or like family time, so you're watching something together for yes. fun because that's nice social activity. Right, watch it together, and you can talk about it, but again, keep it limited. Yeah. And then once you allow kids to have access to video games, let's say you want to get them a, a gaming console of some sort or a handheld gaming device, um, you are going to have to still really strictly monitor their use and limit it in the elementary years to no more Actually, Dr. Amen, who a psychiatrist who studies a great deal of these issues um, of just child development in the brain, recommends no more than half an hour. Um, our, we we say an hour uh, of screen time. It will probably not interfere with your child's development. Right. Then once they're in middle school, two hours, and once in high school, three hours. The difficulty is enforcing these limits. Yes, it is. And I, I, I thought those are pretty generous <laughs> limits, actually. There's a very strong correlation in hours of watching TV and weight gain, independent of how much people, uh, how many rubbish foods people are eating. Just it right. induces some um, brain waves, which, which increase weight. Right, and and just it's sedentary. You know, yeah. you're 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 not moving your body. That's right. And so. Uh, and, and remember, when I say one, two, or three hours, that's of screen time. That includes television and uh, computer use, including Correct. texting and, and that sort mm -hmm, of thing. Mm -hmm. But again, what's difficult is actually enforcing these limits. Yes, it is. So parents have to make clear their expectations and then, um, for instance, require of a high school student that the cell phone be turned off while they're doing their homework and that other activities are not occurring at the same time they're getting their homework done. Mm -hmm. And then after homework is done, they can turn, on, turn back on their cell phone or, you know, play a video game for a set amount of time. But it, you want to put discrete boundaries around those entertainment activities that are occurring and make sure that there's no computer television screen or anything else like that in the bedroom of your Absolutely. child. Terrible for sleep hygiene, terrible for socializing, right. completely unnecessary. Right. It should all only occur in a public part of the house, and I yeah. recommend to parents that they put a, a monitoring software on the computer, mm -hmm. which will keep track of what's happening, and, and say to their child, this, your, the computers in the house are not private. <laughs> Uh, excuse Little me, are not there. private spaces. Yes. The computers in the house are public spaces, and we monitor those public spaces. 
Yeah. If you wish to have private conversation, you have to have that on your phone or in person. So, you know, we're coming towards the end of the show, Hillary, and I think that the, the word of warning um, is that you have to be intrusive. Um, these, these are, as you say, public spaces, and you have a responsibility to your kid to be modeling um, appropriate use of um, dangerous resources and um, terrible consequences can occur uh, for people's development. A lot of the time it doesn't, but a lot of people are getting slowed down in their social, um, in, in, in activities, in physical prowess, in social realms, in so many physical realms that you outline in your book. It's a really good book. Um, I, find, I think it's very useful for people, and I hope um, people check out your Internet site and use it. Um, so we could talk for a long time, and uh, I've certainly enjoyed speaking with you. I've enjoyed it as well. Thank you for a good interview. Okay, so um, once again, that's netaddictionrecovery.com. And can people contact you through that if they wished? They can. Okay. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. We appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.